Big Mama Hex podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited right now. Me too. This has been like a long time coming. I don't know why it took so long to get it together on my end. So welcome. I'm, okay. so, I'm so happy that you had time and, and you're able to join us today. And I'm, I'm so excited for my listeners and also for the book to learn more about the things that you do and the amazing ways that your um, work has 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 had roots and, and wings and spread throughout our community. I see your name come up a lot. Um, and I'm always like, yes, yes, of course, you know, Susan has. So it's very exciting to have you here today. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. So we'll dive right in because I have a lot of things to ask you about. Um, but I just suddenly, as I'm sitting down in front of Mountain Mary, because I'm actually trying to put together a children's book about her. And <gasps> wow. I know. I need help. So you came to mind because obviously it makes a lot of sense. So I've never heard anything negative about Mount Mary. Have you? No, but you know what? Okay. I think we know this much about Mount I agree. Mary. I, agree. I think a lot of, of Mount Mary's lore is like filling in the cracks and yes. we, I think we may have made her what we wanted her to be she's saint mountain mary around here you know i mean it's yeah. like you can't go wrong but yeah so with that project i would have to take a lot of artistic license which makes me a little nervous so i'm thinking and and you just popped in my head just this minute as i was sitting down because i was like wow i wonder if susan would be interested in like collaborating with that i'd be love that and oh you know gosh. what i feel like um everything about mountain mary i would say 99 percent about mountain mary is artistic license I yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would necessarily be argumentative about that. You know what I mean? The thing that's neat about her too is that um, my ancestors were very close to where she lived. So I imagine they must have crossed paths at some point. There had to have been some, I mean, you know, going back to my grandmother, at least she was doing, uh, her family took her to a powwow doctor. So I don't know, or practitioner. But um, yeah, so I imagine that it's possible. So that's really exciting. But I would love to have your input because I don't know a lot about the herbs and, and the things that she would have done. I would I'd more be, you know, to f embellish or flourish um, the stories and to be able to do the illustrations. But we should definitely talk about that. That would be super fun. Have, but, you, ever um, to the, have you ever been to the property? We went and we were in a van with our kids because we can never be away from our son because he's very special. So, <laughs> um, it's tricky because you have to like go down. It's very tricky to navigate um, in a van and we didn't go. And I thought maybe I reached out on Facebook to local friends to see if anybody knew the people that owned the property to get um, some um, what's the word? permission to get over there. Um, but no, I haven't actually physically been there. Like we've driven by, so I've been in the area. Like right. past. Hunter went over on his bike, which was really smart because he just went like, I think he knocked on the door and they weren't home and he was able to go back to the grave site. And I know um, Patrick and Rob had gone. I don't know. Did you go? I was there. I was there. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. That's so Yeah, neat. so they invited us and they walked us right all the way back to the, what they call the grave site, but there's no, like, markers there or anything. It's right. Just, I don't know. It's just a little foundation of stone, but That's it felt so cool. really special back there to me anyway. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I did an illustration for the Oli Valley. It's called the Oli Valley Dow. I don't, I don't think I'm saying it right in Pennsylvania Dutch, but it's the Oli Valley. Um, like it's the group that does the uh, versamling here. 
So they wanted it on the cover and I did an illustration based on photographs, but I was more interested in the spring house, you know, than I would be necessarily in uh, the burial site. But yeah, it's very strange because you, it's, it seems a lot bigger when you imagine it in your head and then you drive by and it's like, it's this little thing, but yeah, I really like to get over there. I wonder if it's the same owner. I don't know. I should talk to Rob. He probably knows oh, who else. There used to be, well, there's a church that's very close to that um, property. Oh, okay. And that church, every year around her birthday or around the date of her birth or death, I can't really remember, would but the church on that Sunday would walk, everybody would walk from the church up to her grave Aww. here. And so on that day, that's what we did. We, we met at the church and we walked up a very steep hill that you have to be really in shape to walk that far up a yeah. pretty steep embankment. Yes. But um, we got there and um, the owners of the property invited us in and were very nice and they sang patrick and rob sang songs it was beautiful it was really That's wonderful. so oh wow i wish i would have known you guys then and i wish it would be recorded somewhere like oh that sounds so amazing i, have I would photographs love to watch of all of it Do you know? oh that's yeah because i think was it maybe in the reading eagle because i looked her up recently and i think there was an article done about that um, I, I don't know if it was the Reading Eagle. It might have been um, the morning call from Allentown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that some more. I would love to see photographs. That's so cool. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your early life and what are your earliest memories of plants and herbs and, and, your, and your like nostalgic feelings for them? What do you think of as your earliest memories of having a connection to those, those plants and herbs? Okay, well, I always tell my students... <clears throat> The first thing I remember is my great-grandfather on my dad's side, which was my dad's grandfather that lived with them. I remember being um, at my grandparents' property, and he lived there. And I remember him telling me, and he didn't speak very often. He did okay. not talk very often. But I remember him telling me that that plant down there, he told me to taste it. And he said, um, I think he called it arrowhead plant. Oh. It was shaped like an arrowhead. And I tasted it and I had no hesitation putting something in my mouth to taste, which, you know, mm -hmm. I always tell people now, just like, don't pop something in your mouth to taste it. But right. I did that kind of willingly and it was very lemony. And it turned out to be, um, um, like turkey rhubarb root or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know it now. Um, it's one of the, um, oh crap, of course I'm going to forget the name of it. <laughs> it's one of the sorrels, sheep sorrel, sheep sorrel. That's what it is. Very, very lemony plant. That oh, was wow. my very first memory of um, tasting a plant. Um, and after that, you know, it kind of skipped into my teenage years when I would have been a little rebellious and kind of ran away, like run yeah. away. My parents had four acres, so I would run to different parts of the property when I wanted to be by myself. And it was either up an apple tree or it was down 
in a swampy area and I didn't take anybody with me. It was just like me and whatever was growing close by, you know? And I felt like I could make myself invisible by climbing an apple tree or hiding in the grasses. I mean, I, I can't say that I, I felt a, a deep connection to plants at that time, but I felt like that's where I would go to hide. I gotcha. didn't jump in a car or I didn't go in a building. I went into nature and kind of tried to make myself invisible. That's all I can say. Wow, that's very cool. That reminds me a lot of when Hunter, I grew up in a suburb, so I can't, I didn't connect in that way. I mean, I, I really loved nature a lot. I would play with worms and stuff. I was always in the backyard. So I think it, you know, you can connect to nature in many ways, but it sounds a lot like how Hunter describes his childhood because they were on a farm and, and this really incredible sense of nature being so just feeling so small and and everything was so large and so exciting and, and the wonder of it all which it, it makes me kind of um long for that feeling you know because when you grow up in the suburbs or the city it's a very different feeling you know and um it's just so it's such a romantic idea you know to think about that but now now in my age now you know i i get it now and i can do that now so children your own children like i remember being we would come home from school, change our clothes, and we would be gone until my yeah. dad whistled until it was time to come home. Yeah. They can't really do that. And no. kids, you know, they can't no. just appear for hours on end. Right. Kind of had that freedom where we could go right. and play in the woods and they didn't really know where we were. We could jump on our bikes. Yeah. And they, they didn't really know where we were. Yeah, we did that too. It's it's so strange now because I can remember, and I and I always think like, why was my mom like? Why don't I remember her being angry all the time? Like, you feel so like, like they're just around all the time. But then I remember like we were literally out of the house and running around until it was dinner time, and then it was yeah. like you just heard them screaming, or like when the bugs came out, you came in. Like I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a horrible suburb. Like it was very beautiful, but it was still like just a little different. I mean, it was definitely the neighborhood feel. I was never really alone. There was always somebody around, but I wish, I think I, I probably longed to be alone. So that idea makes me really happy. I always really enjoy stories that he'll tell me about just kind of like going on a walk and just losing himself in, in nature. It's just incredible. So I know Susan through my husband, Hunter, originally. When I met him, he told me all about Susan Hess and the three sisters. And it was like this amazing, like epic journey story and how, um, how you guys kind of introduced him to this other side and sort of helped along with like Rob and the whole um, Yahoo group, which was called, I'm going to mess it up. Hex and Kunst. Hex, Hex and Kunst, yeah. How that really helped um, sort of pivot his journey towards Pennsylvania Dutch and, and how you guys were um, really incredible in that journey and, and learning about Baralkarai and Hexerai. And then, um, and then there was sort of a bit of a falling out, maybe not with YouTube, but sort of with the person that he was with at the time and, and, and great, very many people, Susan, I have come to find out. I think um, I probably checked out before all of that happened. Yeah, because, lucky you, because yeah. it was like, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that shit storm that I walked into, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like it didn't take much though i'll be honest i felt like i was really naive in like my practices i was very intuitive leaning like i would just just be intuitive 
in what I would do. And, and it really worked right away with this person. So, I mean, I don't know, I guess I have it. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, anyway, so I wanted to talk more about the three sisters and, and how that came about. And um, I know I've learned a lot through Hunter, but I'd like to hear from you um, about that because it sounds so wonderful. And I know you used to sometimes um, do things at the Pennsylvania German Cultural Heritage Center, which is very, very cool. And I would love to hear about that stuff. Okay. I, I, I want to give you a little bit of background, though, because Thanks. when I when I was studying herbalism with David Winston in New Jersey in the mid '90s, um, I learned I learned about Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and Cherokee medicine and like the rich history of all of that, and and always kind of thought like, wow, I wish my ancestors had something like that, but. I never got anything like we had parsley on our potato salad and that was kind of that was kind of it um I never heard any kind of healing ways and also my mom and my and her mom my grandmother were both nurses and right. and so um that was always interesting to me but I was more of an artist than a nurse mm -hmm. I was interested in healing ways but I don't think that I I don't think that I had the discipline to go to nursing school. Right. Uh, but it was really fascinating to me. Anyway, um, so, so I went to herb school in the mid-90s, and I was kind of lamenting that I did not have any kind of um, heritage, healing heritage. Um, but the one, when I learned about the Cherokee healing ways, that seemed like the closest to my... Um, interests because it was here on right. this continent not someplace far away right. um, I really was interested in um, Cherokee medicine and I saw in a newspaper it was probably in the Reading Eagle I saw that somebody was doing a talk on powwow medicine it was called mm -hmm. powwow medicine and it was um, up around Kutztown or I I can't even tell you exactly where it was. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go because I thought it was Native American medicine way. Right, right, sure. So I went there. And right. as it turned out, it was Jesse doing an hour-long talk about powwow. Wow. Pennsylvania German, which I had no, literally not a single clue about. Right. And we still laugh about this, but <laughs> I sat right in the front row like the good student I was thinking I'm, you know, with a pencil and paper and thinking that I'm going to hear about Native American healing things and I wanted to write it all down. And Jesse, um, I realized, wow, this is a young woman, a young, she was like 25 at the time. I think she was like half my age. And all of a sudden she just opened this door to something I, I never heard. I'm not kidding you when I say literally within five to 10 minutes, the first teardrop came and then the next one. And I sat in the front row and I sobbed almost uncontrollably for an hour to hear this story about powwow and um, how it had to go underground and how it was this complete healing tradition that balance that was all about balance of male and female and um 
plants and agriculture and stars and planets and all that stuff. And it's everything I felt in my bones, but was not able to articulate. And it all came together in that one hour by this 25 year old girl that I had never met before. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I fell apart right in front of the poor speaker. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and afterwards she came up to me and she said, are you okay? And I said, you can't believe what doors just opened inside of me. We have to, we have to communicate after this. And so we started meeting in Kutztown after that. And we, and, um, she said, there's so much more I have to tell you. And I said, bring it. I'll take whatever it is because I was so hungry in my soul for that. And so she turned me on to Dennis Boyer and all of the information that Dennis Boyer had given to her and Matthew, her husband. And I was probably like their first apprentice. And okay. I said, let's get this all down on paper. I want to know it. I want to integrate it. I want it to be part of my life. And that's kind of what happened. And, and I said, let's do a newsletter. Let's let these, let's let people know um, this information that's kind of like died. Yeah. And that's what we did. That's incredible. And the newsletter was called, is it Hollerbrower? Hollerbrower Haven. And I think Holler we found out later that it was, that was not the correct pronunciation of elderberry or I think they, and I think Rob ended up changing the, the spelling of it and um, um, Don Yoder said that that wasn't exactly correct, but at the time where we wrote it back in the, I think the very first issue that came out was 2008. We did oh, it wow. four times a year, seasonally, every season. Um, we called it Hollabire Haven at the time. Nice. Yeah. And you know what? The spellings, like, there's so many different ways to spell things. Like, who, you could just argue all day about that. I've just, I like, forget about it. People, you know, I just can't, you know? Yeah. It's like, who cares at the end of the day? You were doing it. You were doing it, not just talking about it. It's incredible. Correct. So you guys started working at, under the name of Three Sisters, correct? Yeah. And, and teaching, um, using what the knowledge that you had in teaching groups. Is that is that correct? And yes. kind of um, yeah, because for uh, more after that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. The the Heritage Center said, "Come on in. This is really awesome that you have this information. Oh. Let's um, let's do it." And yes. we really I don't remember what our um, how many people we had subscribed, but at the time, like I taught myself publisher, and I taught myself. Right to do a newsletter and then I was also getting this information that was so meaningful to my soul mm -hmm. and um and to my life and stuff that I was kind of longing for but never knew that was really there and so I just did not get enough of it and I couldn't wait to share it with other people I know exactly how you feel because that's sort of what happened you know when I met Hunter um I had not been connected to my Pennsylvania Dutch side really much, you know, not in any real way. And that's sort of how it felt. It felt like a floodgate was open and I just couldn't get enough, you know? And I know I've become very annoying to some people, but 
there have been very many generous people who have given me as much information as I could possibly take. And it's just an incredible feeling. But I know what you mean to feel suddenly after all these years of feeling no sense of belonging or like it just didn't fit quite right. And then having it like it just fit and and it's just like amazing. So I love that. And, and I'm trying to interview people that have influenced me in ways um, in my journey. And I know although we've never really spent much time together, we, we met in person at Hunter's show. Um, I do feel very connected to you and connected to what you yeah. do. And, and it's just, it's just incredible to see, even just down to the details of how you photograph things. I just love uh, in, um, in graphic design, we would call it the branding, but you know, just your whole, the whole entire package is just so wonderful. And your spirit is very kind and caring and like, um, generous as well. And, and I just felt, uh, a kinship with you when I met you and um so it's just been incredible watching you now that I know about you Susan and um I I, I really enjoyed working at the Heritage Center as well but you know I find um that sometimes I told Hunter recently I put this book off to the side because I just kind of needed a break from the touchies <laughs> and not, and not, not the people at the Heritage Center that run it and Patrick's lovely and um he is a young lady there. Naomi's wonderful. And Mandy Richardson is awesome. But it's more like the crowd and the old school crowd. And they're just not, I mean, the nipples on the Wasserniks really, really twist their nipples. <laughs> but, um, but sometimes you don't, you just needed a break and like a rest from it. But now I've come back to it and said, you know, this does not belong to just those people. This is ours as well. So I know Rob's helped me a lot too. Um, I don't, identify as a heathen, but I do feel um, very connected to him. I, I sort of am still trying to figure that out. So I find um, Barack Arai and Pow Wow very interesting, but I guess I haven't um, learned enough about it to decide, you know, if that's the right fit for me, but I feel a bit lost in that way. So I do think it's very interesting because um, I'm sure that you can understand in a lot of ways, a lot of my, a lot of my um, collectors or Customers are are very very contemporary um, progressive people that are that have wide range of interests, and then I have a, a huge huge group of audience that's very Christian and more conservative, and there's and it's hard to balance that, you know. So like I don't really talk that much about my own beliefs, but I do feel like I'm at a point in my life where I need to start. Um, identifying that stuff for myself to feel that more connectedness. So I do think it's very interesting. Um, so you became a broker through Jesse, is that correct? Jesse and Matthew, Matthew actually was my, who trained me because okay. a, a man has to train a woman and a woman yes. trains a man. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm, um, you know, uh, I've only really seen uh, Patrick speak on powwow, but I would love to read more about Jesse's take on it. Um, I know I get mushrooms from her through my friend Erin, not not directly, but indirectly. But um, so I, I wonder, is there a way to to find those old those old newsletters and access those? I probably have my own copies of those. I we okay. haven't really like reissued them or anything, but I have individual like the copies that I saved for myself from each printing. So I could, be, I'd be happy to loan them to you. So much. I think Rob said that they're now online and someone has, um, I know you guys passed that on to him, correct? And then yes. I think 
doing it online now, but I'd really love to see like the original stuff and like get into all that because that must be so exciting. Um, so moving on from that, do you two still work together or you're working now under your own name? Back, I started Farm at Coventry back in right. probably 99. Okay. Um, 1999 after I graduated from herb school I started my own business uh, my er own herbal business back then making products and then I started teaching in the early 2000s and okay Jesse you know I I know our first newsletter has the date on it of spring of 2008 but I can't really remember exactly when I met her for the first time I feel like it was either 2006 2007 okay but um, by that time, I was already teaching my Homestead Herbalism course. Oh, nice. Um, and I taught that for 20 years before I moved to New Jersey. Oh, and wow. I moved to New Jersey, and I had to rebrand everything to my surroundings here, which is I'm surrounded by pitch pines. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the Pine Barrens now. And so I have a still. I have a copper still. And... Um, a still room is a place where um, a woman would keep a still and her herbs and, and do all of her, you know, her herb processing, her healing ways, and the still was the center of that. And so the still room is where the still was kept and where all of the herbal medicine was kept. So I called it the still room at Pitch Pines. Um, there's three really beautiful pitch pines um, directly behind the property here. And so I'm really kind of attached to those. I had never seen a pitch pine tree before I moved here. They're very unusual. They have big, um, big gnarly, placky type of bark. And um, they put out this awesome smell and awesome um, sap and yeah. pitch. Um, which is, has a lot of um, medicine in it. And so I've, I've met a lot of new plants moving here to New Jersey. So yeah, anyway, about Jesse. Um, Jesse and I are still in touch, kind of. Okay, so when I met Matthew and Jesse, they were um, a young married couple. Mm -hmm. And um, three of us did this teaching gigs. We, we taught a couple different places around the Kutztown area, Berks County area, Schuylkill Valley area. Um, we did the newsletter. Patrick then kind of came in. And then um, Matt and Jesse got pregnant with their first baby. And, and then things kind of changed for them. And then <clears throat> they were focused on their child. And we lived an hour apart even back then. And so it was kind of hard for us to manage getting together and really focusing on this work as much as I, we wanted to. And my business was really expanding at the farm in um, my address was Pottstown back then. My business was really expanding and I was having lots of classes back then. And so I think, and then we met Rob and, um, he just kind of ended up kind of taking it over. But I think the thing that really um, um, might have been like the, the, one of the things that kind of made me say, okay, I'm going to step back now is 
when we were kind of at our peak with our newsletter and um, all the classes that we were teaching in the Kutztown area, we started having some old timers. Yes, I read yes. around. Okay, mm -hmm. and they were kind of hiding themselves incognito in, in those classes that we were talking. And everyone, so they listened to us talk about these rituals and these old ways. And, and like, like you, I don't really identify as a heathen, but I really respect the old ways and how they, those old ways, however they are, right. ever like um, spiritually or religiously, they identified, they were healing ways. Right. And so I was not attached to the spiritual, like re religiosity of it, but the healing ways was the most important thing to me. And so we had these very old timers that would come to our lectures and then listen to us and at the very end stand up and say, what you're doing is witchcraft mm. and what you were doing is devil worship. And, um, you know, Jessie as a Scorpio was kind of able to handle that. And she could, <laughs> she could like let them have it. I, as a gentle Libra felt attacked by those people. Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, this is history. But to them, I had, you know, I had to say, okay, to them, it was scary history that they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. You know, looking back on it, it was kind of scary history to them. But to me, I was able to see the whole picture. Right. I think the clincher for me was when um, they had us on Redding's uh, cable network station. We were doing some kind of... Um, spring fling or harvest festival or something and so they invited us to come on to do this five minute spot to talk about the three sister center and our harvest festival and there was a woman the interviewer came on and she asked us a bunch of questions which we were happily you know we were happy to tell them about what we were about the historical value of all this and then she says, with 30 minutes, 30 seconds remaining, what can you tell your viewers about, what can you tell the viewers who think what you're doing is witchcraft? With 30 so seconds remaining. Oh. oh I kind of remember going, I kind of remember laughing and looking at Jessie and she immediately was able to articulate why what we were doing had historical value and, and beauty, but the lights came down, the music came up, and then all of a sudden, you know, lights were off. Mm -hmm. The woman, the interviewer put her microphone down on, the, on her chair and just walked away. And so, wow. that, I don't know if you know anything about cable, Berks County Cable or whatever, yeah. but they play that five minute, they play that yep. five minute thing over and over and over yes. for days on end, maybe a week. Yes. I was furious. Oh my God. The time I drove home from Reading, I blasted off this horrible email to the head of whatever it was and they apologized to it. But I thought, 
I am never going to open up my spirituality to that no. kind of um, attack again. I've always been a solitary practitioner. Yes. It's kind of like Jesse was able to beautifully articulate what we were doing as historic with historic value, but um, I just put my shell on and I said, I'm never exposing myself like that again. Yeah. And so that was kind of the end of it for me, um, that oh. I wanted to protect that beauty within me and not to share it with anybody again. And it was years before I talked about it. And wow. now I really only talk about it with my students or people wow. that I feel safe with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel that's so hard, Susan, because I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> And Rob and I talked about this because I'm so sensitive that I, and Hunter, you know, he's very different and I'm very the opposite. I get so overwhelmed by the idea of someone taking something so sacred to me and, and, and exploiting me or exploiting the way I feel about something. So I connect to that so deeply. And it's so interesting to me though, because in the years that I've been on the scene or whatever around here, so I came to Berks County, like, um, I was kind of around in Philly, we were doing stuff like hex signs and stuff, but we didn't matter then, like when we first on the scene, 2014, um, and just watching the way, and this is fascinating to me and, and in no way reflects our wonderful friend Patrick at all, but the way he was, um, the way he was treated with the way he was talking about powwow was a very different experience. Rob actually brought this up in the interview with him when I spoke to him about um, this one publication that had just come out, having this feeling, um, this person I guess had written about sort of that time period and, and Rob had actually felt like there was some um, like sexism going on. And I, I, there's always that, I wanna say machismo, but there must be a Pennsylvania Dutch word for it. <laughs> but it's that machismo feeling and it's just, it, it really, it takes the wind out of me sometimes and I just, I'll say to Hunter, and Hunter's not like that. Like Hunter can be like a lot of things and very infuriating, but he's not like that with women. He's very like equitable and like wants me to have as much shine as he does and wants to like help build me up. And But I think his parents were very different about that than like some people were raised. But I do get that sense, the way that he's been embraced with Powell, and it's nothing to do with him, he's a lovely guy. But I'm just wondering if it's the way it's packaged and it's like safer or maybe it's the time that it's happening or maybe it's the audience that he has. But I guess when I when I sort of reflected on what Rob said, it was really bothersome then and it hadn't been the seed hadn't been planted really to realize like how um, upsetting that was to me and how I've experienced that as well. But do you have any thoughts on that? Um, do you feel like maybe there was there was some of that working too? I'm um, just like. It could go, I mean, <clears throat> the males were always considered like the hexers, like the, I don't want to say the bad ones, but they right. got into more trouble. You know, mm -hmm. they were the root diggers or there would be more like trouble surrounding the men. I think personally that maybe they were, um, maybe they were scared of the women because they yep. had some type of power. Yeah, um, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's all the old, the old patriarchal fears of yeah. healers or people that birth babies or um, women that help women birth babies or 
I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was that. I didn't, I can't say that it was really sexism back then, but I kind of right. feel about it. And I feel that way about it now, just because yeah. I feel more um, comfortable in my own shoes. Sure, sure. Now, um, but I, I just wasn't going to let anybody destroy it for me. No. So I, I wanted to say like, fuck you old men. Yeah, because I feel like the people that were standing up and bitching the loudest were men, but the that's ones that were like bitching behind the scenes were old women. Yeah, that's so fascinating because I feel like um, in my short time here with the old timers, you know, I don't really get any shit from men. It's always the women. And it's very interesting to me because I'm sitting here like, what, where's the beef? Because I guess the women that I grew up with and my grandmother the really super punky Dutch spirit in my life. She was really strong and independent and a badass. Like I just never grew up with this kind of culture. And this is like cultural shock for me because like Hunter grew, grew up with these people. He gets it a little more for me. It's like, okay, I'm 30. I'm on this journey and like teach me everything. And I'm going to like share this work that I'm making. And, and I didn't like expect there to be so much resistance or hesitance. But I think what's changed maybe, which is really exciting is, um, the audience has changed. So I notice the people that I interact with that buzz about the powwows, you know, the stuff that they're talking about, it's a younger audience. I think there's that too. And um, they're really reaching for ways to connect and, and just Christianity in general seems to be kind of like dissipating a bit, or maybe um, there's more room for other ideas. And, and that's something that I love about Rob, because it's like, I never get machismo vibes from him ever. The only time that me, me and Rob had it out was about the Frau Butz. <laughs> I went to oh, one. Oh, yes. You know what? <laughs> no. I, oh, what? no. I tried that. I made I made a Butz up woman yes. at the Heritage <laughs> Center like many, many years ago. And he said, oh, no, no. No. Yes. There is no such thing as that. It has to be a male because he carries the seed. Oh, so funny, Susan, because I came to one of the events with a Frau Butz and I was just like, what are you talking about? This is the feminine energy, buddy. And, and it's so funny because he was like, no, 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 this cannot be. And I was like, well, it's here. So it's, it's going to be, but he, I just adore him. And he like accepts me exactly how I am. I'm like, look, I love you so much. I am never going to be a heathen, but I can get down with you every day and really worship with you and just enjoy you so much. And I think some, some of his I friends- I feel the same. I feel the same about Rob. Yeah. He's just like, and, and you know, we have this Bristol connection. That's where I grew up. And that's where he's lived for like 20 years. I had no idea. So he might've been around when I was like running around like a crazy <laughs> But um, it's funny because he ended up telling me something really neat about Bristol, that there were actually Germans. And I'm just like, I missed them all. And I was like, I felt like I was the only German. But it's so interesting though. I think I kind of- um irritated some people in his group because I didn't have to do all this like work to feel like he and I were just brother and sister right away and I feel like that kind of like irked people because you know how people get in like organizations because I'm like you I'm like an independent practitioner <laughs> like look I don't need the group like just leave me in this tree and I'll take care of right. it and you know what I have to say Kutztown is a place where I went to school but um spending a lot of time there I felt like it was like sort of some, some kind of some some kind of like negative energy there and I don't really like spending time there I like to go to the heritage center but in general I don't really spend a lot of time in Kutztown because I've had like a lot of bad experiences there so I'm trying to um you know have 
some reach in other places, but it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, there's some real old, well, I'm trying to really get into the Oli Valley, but um, there's yeah. some old. I feel, I feel more, much more comfortable in Oli area. Yes. Yes. That feels like little Switzerland to me, which right. is where my um, ancestors came from. Oh, cool. But whenever I drive around the Oli, very, Oli Valley area, it feels really like deep home to me there. I feel that so much, Susan, and like, it's like, not just my ancestors, it almost feels like the hills are like rolling out and like rolling you in. Like, it's just this like welcoming energy in, in the, in the land and the spirit. I mean, it's just, I just love it so much. So then I go into Kutz and I was like, okay, there's way too much like negative energy here. Like I gotta get out of here, <laughs> but I don't know. It's kind of sad because I'm, you know, Hunter's from Virginville, which is really close, but we haven't spent really any time there, but Oli's like, it's home. It's just there's like not a whole lot to do in Virginville. No, there's not. <laughs> and you know, we can't go to the family farm, so that's out of the question. Oh yeah. So I wanted to also get into the book that came out, and this is an incredible book. And oh I was with the design. I appreciate it so much. Um, so whoever worked on this did a really great job. I was like, the end pages are to die for, but um, this is a book that you wrote with uh Tina Sams. Tina right she publishes the herbal um the essential herbal magazine for like 20 years oh. tina and i have been friends tina and i've been friends for like 20 years she oh, publishes nice. the essential herbal magazine um she has a huge following of people oh wow and, and i do not so um when the publishers went to tina to ask her if she wanted to write a cookbook. She said, well, I don't really cook, but my <laughs> friend Susan Hess does. Nice. And like, who's Susan Hess? And so she told them about me. But because I don't have, you know, I don't write my blog anymore. I don't have this huge presence like Tina does. Right. She does a lot of marketing on herself. And so um, I, I spoke with the um, publishers and they said, we'd like you to write this book, but we want Tina Sam's name on it so that we can get um, an influx of followers, basically. Oh, very interesting, yeah. And so, you know, that's not a common publishing thing. They said it was the first time they were doing that. And, um, but we, I wrote the entire book. Okay. So, but, but Tina really, her role in this was that she really pushed it and sold it for me, which I that's, greatly appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It's incredible. And I love the way it's laid out. I mean, I'm I'm not a big reader. I just don't, I'm a very visual person. And I just really enjoy the way that it's that is put together. It it looks amazing. I just loved it so much. Um I wish there were more photographs. You know, if if you know my work, Part yes. of what I love to do is photography of, yeah. I document everything I grow, everything I make. And I really wanted them to use my photographs, but they had a, what do they call it? Like a food stager or whatever. Yeah, wondering because I love the vibe of your, I mean, like I would refer to it as branding, even though it might not be intentional, but it, just your like natural vibe in, in the photographs that you put together and the things that you share. I just love it. And I love all the different layers. Like, I just feel like it's like a Pinterest dream come true, especially when you shared that room with the little owl um, piece that you purchased from me. It was just, I was like, I wanted to stive it. Well, there it is. 
Oh, that's so cool. I see her. Oh, oh yes. you're talking about my, you're talking about my um, garden shed. Yes. Yes, that's outside. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I have a tattoo for like women power from like my 20s and like I get it and I and I love the feminine spirit, but I always called myself a sex positive feminist because I also love, I love my husband and I love men and I love, I love that. Um, and that's what I think is very fascinating to me about Brock Rye is the, the male passes it to the female and vice versa and, you know, just dabbling a bit we won't talk too much but like working in sex magic there's like these energies and like whatever way that you prefer your sexual orientation but i mean there's something to be said for that um that balance so i mean absolutely i never yeah. allowed male bashing in my class no i don't like that i don't like it no i don't either you know i, I mean i was always really happy when males came into my classroom to balance it because if it's all females it just naturally could go to male bashing and I just right. don't allow it. That's I don't amazing. like it. I don't like it either. Not only do I love my husband and my dad and my brother and Rob and Patrick and these guys that are like incredible giving and kind spirits, but also I'm raising a boy and it's like very hard to see the male bashing and, and not like some of it certainly is, is warranted, you know, um, in this in this culture and in this time and, and things that have been done to people but i mean it's very hard to figure out like how to teach him that he's still a wonderful person and shouldn't hate himself you know it's very it's a difficult tightrope walk but anyway so i appreciate that i always say honor the feminine because i feel like um especially painting hex science it's hard because i think i mean I'm just thinking Chrissy Schuster is the only person I could think of off the top of my head in our sort of whirlwind, like right here area um, that paints them as well. And it's hard because I feel like a lot of the symbology feels very masculine to me. And I try and try and tap into the feminine, but I'm still working that out. But anyway, <laughs> something to think about. But um, so are, are your ancestors, I know that you talked about it. The other book that I have here is... Um, bringing it back is this, this old guy <laughs> I just it's it's very interesting but um I know you talked about growing up in I have it marked in this amazing old old um stone correct yep my and that, it, it used to belong it it was owned by Bethlehem Steel Oh, wow. Um, and both my parents worked for Bethlehem Steel at the time. My mom was the um, nurse and my dad worked in the mines. And um, it was empty for like 10 years. And my mom drove past, they drove past it every day. And my mom said she wanted to buy it. And oh, wow. literally there was trees growing through the floorboards. <gasps> wow. There was raccoons living in the house, but my mom wanted to buy it. Wow, your mom had a amazing. vision. She had a vision. Yeah, cool. That is really incredible. That is so neat. So, um, and I also read this this passage in here about a few days ago. Jesse and I sat together and made some amulets using elderberry ink, drawing runes, adding herbs, including mugwort. And then I don't know what, where I saw the picture, but there was an image of a woman painted with elderberry ink, and I think it was you. And I don't know where I saw it, if it was on Instagram or Facebook. Someone had shared it with you. It was so beautiful. Oh, my friend Hilda. Yeah. 
Yeah, I never thought of using it that way. That's so incredible. What a great idea. She is a wonderful artist, and oh she's God. using all these natural uh, materials now to... I, I think elderberry ink doesn't last, and so as a dye, it doesn't last. Um, and I think as an ink, even, over time, it degrades. And so there's not... Um, there's nothing really to hold it to make it last forever. Right. It's not archival, but still, even still, I mean, you know, I've used some other things that don't last very long, but are very powerful as well. Um, you know, in my work. <laughs> but I'm... Um, but that's okay. Speak, yeah. Oh, it's really good. Speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of elderberry, I have to say... <laughs> Our elderberry has taken over our lawn. It's amazing, but it's also like, okay, um, Hunter, I don't know elderberry. I only know elderberry in the last couple of years. And I'm like, how, how tall is this? Is exactly going to get, it is gigantic. It is up to our second floor. I would say almost the window and a, a literal jungle. So every year I'm like, oh, Hunter, do you think you could cut that back a little bit? So he cuts it back. No. And then it grows more. Yes, she will. So I just perhexed myself. <laughs> <laughs> My mom has a cutting. So, and he, he told me that all of this elderberry came from a cutting from you. So you have given us a great gift here and it continues to flourish, but she has a cutting and it's just so beautiful. And then just this small little, beautiful little tree and ours is like a jungle. And my daughter is so connected to it. My middle. Aww. And she just says, mom, we can't get rid of it because like the birds live in it and stuff. And I don't mean to get rid of it, but I just mean to <laughs> simmer down a little bit, but no, it is a wild, wild woman. And I just, yes. it's one of those things that it's like, I love it so much, but it's also like, so, um, so wild, you know, it's exciting, but also a little terrifying stuff. <laughs> do you connect, do you connect the elder, um, to Frahala as Rob does, or is that something that doesn't speak to you as well? I know that he speaks in, um, I think it was the backdoor hexologist about, was it the backdoor hexologist? Um, oh no, it was uh, the podcast that they do about it being at the- um, During the wild hunt. Yes. They go up there during the wild hunt to the top yeah. of the mountain. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I connect very strongly with the plant. Yes. And I've had dreams about the plant. And I've had dreams about um, this white-haired woman. Oh, wow. And, and, but to, I don't set an altar for Hala. I don't right. do that type of thing. Right. But, um, I recognize that the elderberry plant is very, very important to our culture. Yes. And I just kind of connect to it like I do an old, an, one old woman to another. And, and, and um, I feel like there's wisdom there. And, you know, the story about Hala, they always tried to make Hala appear to be like this evil person who chewed up little children or whatever. I yeah. But, but to me, what I think of is when you get to be an old woman and you look back on your life, 
it's not chewing up old it's not chewing up children it's like you're chewing up and reinventing your life over and over and over and that's like creativity and that is being um like i can say i chewed up my life and spit it out a couple of times too and like recreated myself yeah times in my life and that's how i spiritually think of hala or yeah elderberry i i mean i obviously think about it as a medicinal plant too but um i don't i don't set altars for her right yeah but i just like my dreams with the hala with elderberry bushes and with old women i always feel like that is my connection to her and they're so powerful that i can't deny it Mm -hmm. and that's what i that's what it is to me that's what it is to me. Yeah. That's so interesting how you said that. Um, because you know, I don't do, I don't really do altars. I'll do ancestral altars, but the altars kind of in my, in my mind, you know, and I, and I do a lot of, um, practicing with visions, you know, and, and, and trying to, um, envision things. And that's sort of like my mental, like it's in my head, my, or my third eye is where the altar is. And that's really fascinating. I love, and I've really only experienced Rob's version of Rahala, so it's really beautiful. And, you know, I kind of started to get into it to try and think um, of working it out for a piece, but it, I got so busy with work, like other work, um, that I never really got to work on a piece of her. I did do a Mount Mary piece, um, but I would love to do a Rahala piece, but it's interesting because the German version is very different than what yeah. Rob, yeah, you know, so I mean, um, it's very I interesting. Like there's too many rules. There's yeah. Rules of who she is. And so, yeah, like, um, I'm learning to trust my own inner vision a little bit more now. Um, and, and I feel like, and this is what I tell to other, other students of mine is, um, if something speaks to you, you really need to pay attention to that because that's your own personal medicine. Right, Not right. To, like read a book on something and study on it and then make it yours if it's not, if it doesn't feel right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so very true. And, and I almost feel like what you mean by there's so many rules is I don't want to do that to Mountain Mary, you know, but I do want to share the story in a beautiful way and do artistic license. But I do know what you mean. I just, I just can't get down with the organized religion. I just can't. This is Henrietta. She's the middle. She's the elder elder fan. You love our elderberry. This is Susan. And she's the person that gave us the elderberry a long, long time ago. Daddy. She said, don't cut it down. I love the jungle. Don't cut it down. I No, I never do it. I make Hunter just, just like trim it back. So how can we properly take care of it and, and be honorable and not you just have to ask permission. That's all. Yeah. Because the thing is, I don't know if, and I wanted to ask you if, if the elder plant spirit, if you associate an animal with it, because I'm trying to work it out to do a piece about the elder and I did one for Rob that had the distal thing, but I'm not like, <laughs> I, don't I don't think that I've ever experienced uh, an animal. Uh, I haven't, I've never associated an animal with that. Yeah, the birds for us, like they are obsessed with it. Yeah. They love it so much. It's incredible. It's very, very cool. Um, 
so that's that's one thing that I wanted to ask you. So yeah, so the, so all the little all the little trimmings that he did just planted and <laughs> you're never going to get rid of it, you know. I, you you know, always put up side side shoots forever. I never, I never wanted to, but he literally said like, "Oh, it's just a tiny bush." And I was like, "Perfect." Huh. Because I'll tell you. He did trick me. He's a trickster. I can never trust him really. It's very interesting. We we live in Boyertown, which is where my grandparents lived and my mom grew up and they would get complaints. My grandmother was a hoarder, but like the outside of her house was not that bad. They would get like citations for like their ivy growing too like wild. And I keep saying to him, like, I'm like, I'm a little worried. <laughs> literally, Susan, our entire lawn. And I literally said, let's food, not lawns. Like, let's just F this lawn, like let's do this up. But we have like stuff growing like crazy, right? And I'm like, dude, we're gonna get like a citation. Has not happened. So we are being protected in some way. So that's very good. <laughs> not worried as long as nobody's giving us any shit. I'm not worried. But well, are you good with time? You're okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I wanted to get into a little bit about um I was saying how many people that I know have been touched by your herbal hand and taking your classes. Um, Michelle, one of Rob's, one of Rob's uh, friends. Uh, yeah, Dyche Girl Displaced, which I love that. That's such a great thing that she calls herself. She lives very close to me, by the way, in oh, New Jersey. Crazy. Yeah, she lives right up the road. Oh my gosh, no, I have family in New Jersey. I have family in, um, well, my great aunt lived in Millville and then my, my aunt now lives at, near like Fort Dix. And then I have family in Mount Laurel, so we know the Pine Barrens very well, but I've never gotten over to her farm. I need to go because I can't wait to go. You know, part of this is like experiencing, um, I'm going to say lockdown, but that's not it. isolation or um, quarantining. Like part of it I really love because I'm an introvert, but part of it is like making me realize the things that I should have prioritized and, and been with them more um, to worship in just in just a communal sense, not, necessar not necessarily right. subscribing to all the things that they do, which they're very open to. But I really love Michelle. She's a wonderful lady. Yeah. Um, also, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to say something about Michelle? I'm sorry. No, I just said she is a wonderful. She's such a great lady. Yeah. Um, and she's also a broker as well. Gave them the energy, the charge, and brought them to life. I That was a really cool experience. I really loved. And now we always do we always make a Frau Butz and a Butzaman, and I still do the Frau Butz, I'm such a little shit. But you know, I went and I researched and like, you know, culturally the Pennsylvania Dutch did do female scarecrows. So I'm like, hey, there's a balance here. Like this is happening. And I do think we had these awful slugs last year on all our kale, not one this year. It's like, what is going on? It's been really incredible. So it's been a good growing year for sure. I wanted to ask you quickly about I know that I'm now um, interacting with your daughter online and following, and she's following me, Emily. And it seems like you've passed that along to her. Is that something that they're very interested in? You have two daughters, is that correct? No, I have, um, Emily's the oldest, and then Riley is five years younger than she okay. is, my son, yeah. Oh, cool, I didn't realize that. Okay, nice. So is that something that you pass along to them? Well, you know what, you know, I think early on, this is like back when I, um, was studying with David Winston and studying herbalism. I realized that I had not been passed on any herbal traditions. Right. Pennsylvania Dutch. And I was like, what's wrong with, what's wrong with us that we don't, you know, like the Italian families had yes. their traditions or, or like the Polish people had their traditions. 
like what was wrong with us that we were just you know we had our filling and we had our our food ways but I didn't feel like there was any healing ways there that right. I speak of and I was like kind of bored with yeah with it or um or I think looking back on it then after I met Jesse that there seemed to be a lot of shame around being Pennsylvania yes. German yes um just because of what happened with World War II and you did not want to be known as you know uh being attached to the german or germanic culture at all right. because that made you susceptible to people who didn't like hitler you know like right sure all kinds of um derogatory comments and so they just kind of got quiet and they stopped speaking the dialect like my grandmother stopped speaking the dialect my mom understood it but she didn't really speak it except for a few words right yep and i do remember being a kid on holidays and walking into my walking into a room where my grandmother and her sisters were speaking the dialect and then they would stop yes because they did not want to pass it on they wanted us to be english yeah um, and to become american um, americanized yes. and so i feel like there was a lot of shame around being pennsylvania dutch mm -hmm. um but i thought wow this is kind of weird because my italian friends were proud to be italian or my polish friends were proud to be polish yeah like, what was wrong with us that we were like not proud i think that at least you know what was um what this younger generation like kind of what the three sisters center and matthew and um patrick and you and hunter and all these people are sort of making us proud about our culture again in a way and yeah. um and i think i didn't really see that with my generation so much like my siblings and or my cousins but now our children, mm -hmm. you know, my daughter has a t-shirt that says, um, you ain't much if you ain't Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, so cool. And it's kind of cool. Like suddenly my niece is like interested in hex signs or interested in um, decorating their own homes now in, in our cultural heritage. And Emily likes her hex signs and my brother I have my brother's hex signs around and my sister's um, fractures, but it's like you just never saw that stuff, and it never appealed to our children or our generation or our children's generation until now. Yeah, it's really true. Yeah, it's really true. It's really funny because my my grandmother who just passed away, so she was. 91 and she got to be around to see that change though and it was really powerful to watch because she had grown up that was her first language but then her parents um you know they didn't want them to carry that on but also at school they forced them to stop speaking it correct so well they were not allowed to speak it but then you know what happened susan she goes to college which was already like amazing she goes to westchester and she got put in a speech clinic for her accent and it really, when she talked about it, like after I wrote Penny Olive, which was really in, inspired by her, 
um, it was so hard to listen to her speak about it because it really was traumatic for her to be treated that way. And, um, but she was always proud of it. She was one of these people who, you know, like re revolted against that idea of hiding it. She was always super proud, Pennsylvania Dutch lady, the Dutch is, but she was there and I'm going to start like crying because she was there to see the excitement come back around and see the, the pride and, and the encouragement and the um, acceptance and, it's really a powerful thing. And, and you meet a lot of people vending that have the same story as what you're speaking about, that their family did not want to pass it on because it was, it was shameful. And it was, it was like dumb Dutchman idea and all these like yeah. horrible and anti-German hysteria through my research, which I wrote a thesis paper. Oh my gosh. And in grad school, uh, anti-German hysteria was really palpable as well during world war one in America and it was really nasty. Like people like Mennonites were getting like like ostracized and, and Germans and, and German Americans. It was really scary. So I can understand where they were coming from. And then you have to lean back and realize that um even though you know the Grunsel Lodges and stuff were were just men getting together, um these these sort of like secretive situations helped preserve the culture and, and the identity and keep that sense of pride, which is really exciting because, um, you know, now this generation coming up is, is able to reach in and like say, we've been here so long and it's such an amazing, and, and the Pennsylvania Germans and Pennsylvania Dutch had so much influence on, on shaping America and it's really an incredible journey and story. So I'm really happy to see that. And I'm so thankful that she got to see that because it, it must've been so heartbreaking to, uh, especially nowadays when, you know, as a teacher, like we see ESL, you know, English as second language learners and, you know, they're, they're accepted and they're welcomed and, and that's how it should be. But to imagine in public school that you were hit with a ruler, if you spoke it, it's just incredibly upsetting and very, very sad. See, I have a picture of myself in front of your brother's hex sign and it used to be displayed at the heritage center at all of their events. And I just love his work. And I said, Hunter, whose work is it? And he said, oh, that's Susan Hess's brother, Steve. And I love that it was, it has this like very beautiful vintage feel and it feels like it's, um, it's just so my style of, of work that I enjoy it and, and really, um, I enjoy working in that kind of process. So can you tell me more about his work and, and how long he's been doing hex signs and sort of how he, how he um, ended up doing that kind of process where well, it's, Actually, I don't, I don't really know how he started doing it other than my dad had a lot of barn wood in the yeah. back. And I think my brother started to paint hex signs on <laughs> barn wood to put on people's garages or, or, and, and I can't tell you how many he did because he was working full time as a um, um, project engineer. And so he was just kind of doing it on the side for fun. Right, sure. And I kind of commissioned him to do a few for me to, to keep around the house. Um, but he's retired now. Gotcha. And, and he told me the other day that he's actually cleaning up his studio area and he's going to get back into it again. But That's I don't awesome. know that he actually ever really did it commercially. He was kind right. of just doing it for family and friends. Um, but, you know, now that he's got a little bit of time on his hands, if he can ever stay in one place because he likes to fish, but oh, um, nice. yeah, so um, I think he's going to get back into it again, but I can't That's say that he ever cool. really did it commercially and right. I don't really know how he started, honestly. I wonder how, I wonder if maybe he just 
how it ended up at the Heritage Center. Maybe he gifted one to Patrick or well, something like that. I think at that time I was in the Three Sisters Center and they were looking for somebody to paint, um, like um, demonstrate during the Harvest Festival. Oh, and I God. Said, oh, I bet my brother would do that. He lives in State College. And so I think he just drove over and did it. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, I think he just drove over and did it. But um, that was an exception. And I think I have a picture of my brother and Hunter in front of that, too, before oh, cool. he ever met you. Oh, that's so cool. That's really neat. Yeah, well, I shouldn't I say that. I don't really know when you met, but. I think um, it was a star. We met in 2011 in July. Oh, yeah, it was way before this. So uh, I had yeah. my brother painting that hex sign, and, and I introduced my brother to Hunter oh, that's at that Harvest Festival. Oh, that's neat. That's really, really cool. Yeah, well, tell your brother I really love his work. And, I and know. I'm care of myself. Um, one of my friends at college took a bunch of professional pictures. I don't remember why I needed them, but um, I think it was some promotional material or something. And I just love that sign so much. Of all the signs, that one spoke so much to me. Um, and then you mentioned that your sister Sally, and I had no idea that you, well, I didn't know you had a sister and I didn't know she does Fractor. And is there a piece behind you? I was, I, I saw something behind you. Is oh, that no. That one? I love that. That's the faces that you like. Yes, I saw it. See is, that your, is that her work? No, no. I got that okay. one at the Landis Valley Farm Museum in Lancaster a That's long, long time ago. And the That's reason so I cool. bought it is because of the faces. Yes. And because it's, there's a hymn on there called Mothering God. Ooh, that sounds so good. Mothering God, Mothering Spirit. And I was like, what? Yeah, right. So I had to have that, and I paid way too much for it. But Sometimes. I love that flower face, just like I you do. do. Oh my gosh, my sister's is right here. Let me go get it. Oh, cool. It's right here. Yeah, the faces as flowers just gets me every time. And I keep asking my friend, who's a curator over at the Schweinfelder, what does she think it means? And she thinks that it was meant sort of like um, how the Mexican Day of the Dead sugar skulls as um, oh yeah she thinks it was meant as sort of a memorial for people that had passed and i thought that was really cool imagery that's weird because you know what i always put that whenever i did the um day of the dead ancestor altar yeah I always put that directly behind it whoa that's so okay. cool you right on this is oh my my God. sister's oh let's see let's get oh wow that's gorgeous and she has the lettering and everything. Bless her heart. That's amazing. She always does the house shine and the house house blessing ones. Usually if somebody has a baby or gets married or something, she she does that. But again, never did it commercially because she also has a full-time corporate job. And But this is right. what she does because she really loves it and enjoys it. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, there's a, there's a switch that changes when you start to sell your work that you love and is so sacred to you. And it, as I mentioned, you know, I got so flooded with work work that I didn't get to do the work I really want to do. And that's the thing of trying to have balance, which I don't right now, but um, to still have that sacred time for the work that you want to create. So that's really cool. So thank you for sharing. Sally's work is amazing. Um, 
Oh, here's a good one. Um, so embracing the power in aging. This is something that I'm really interested in just because <laughs> it, it's like, I'm going to turn 40 next year and it's surprising. It's just surprising how amazing it feels, but also how scary it feels. But I'm sort of like a person that looks at the cup sometimes half empty because I worry a lot about dying, which is really stupid, but I do worry a lot about that. You do? I worry like almost daily. Yeah. It's really weird. I need to figure that out and box it up and burn it because I can't yeah. anymore. It's really silly and not because I'm almost 40, but because I just don't want to leave my children. It's very strange. So, um, but I do look at you and your posts and don't shake that. <laughs> my producer's getting wild over here. <laughs> um, look at your posts and, and the pictures of you. And I just think you're such a beautiful person and you're such a beautiful spirit and such a kind person, but you're also a very beautiful person. And I think I, I saw when, I don't know when you went gray, but um, I love it. It's incredible. Well, it's you know, when, um, so when I was writing the book, in August of 2018, about the time that I signed a contract to write this book, um, I had I had five weeks to write a book. Wow! Oh my goodness! At, at the almost exactly the same time, my mom started to get ill. She oh my started God. to go downhill, and so. Um, she was hospitalized a number of times during the time that I was writing this book. And so um, I think I turned in my, I turned in my, in my final manuscript and then my mom died just a few days after that on October, uh, October 23rd of that year. And my mother had this beautiful white my mother and her sister and my grandmother and all of my grandmother's sisters had this pure white hair. Oh, wow. Well, and I started turning white at like 40 and I just, I was like, no fucking way. I'm not doing this yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I kept coloring it. Um, but I think when my mom died and my mom always said, I'm not coloring my hair. I earned every one of these gray hairs. Seriously, yeah. And, and you know what? When she passed away, um, and I, at 50, when I turned 50, I said, I'm going to stop coloring my hair because I don't need to color my hair. But I never completely embraced it right. until my mom passed away. Um, and I was 59 then. And at that moment, I said, you know what? I earned this gray hair now. I'm not coloring it anymore. Yeah. And so it's taken me from October of 2018 until maybe a few months ago till it's, I finally cut off the last of the brown. And so that's, oh, all, wow. that's all the real thing now. And it's very liberating, I have to say. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I just told my kids, I'm like, I have the skunk thing going, but there's a lot of gray in there and I'm actually really excited about it. But I have like this golden crap down here and I just can't wait for it to like get down yeah but I'm I I feel like it's it's real inner work that I have to do and self-love it really has nothing to do with age at all it's ridiculous but um it is empowering to see people like you that are like embracing it and you feel it and you're like 
I want to be like this. And then there's also this wild one, wild woman sisterhood. Um, it's on Facebook and Instagram and they share a lot of stuff about, um, just being in a, in a different season and being able to be so much more empowered and like strong and, and feeling really confident in yourself and, and your practices and your body and your spirituality. And I love that part of feeling older. It's just, I guess I'm sort of in this weird, this weird zone where, and it's all the things I already spoke about during our interview. Um, having to settle in on some things and, and kind of um, ink out identity points uh, to feel a more sense of security in who I am. So I think that all goes together, but I just wanted to tell you, and I was like, you know, I never want to offend anybody, but it did not appear like it would be something that would offend you to tell you that you look so beautiful. And I just love your gray hair so much. And it's Thank you. <laughs> so, so gorgeous. And I, and I hope to like, um, find my way in um, embracing myself and, and feeling more love towards myself because it's hard when you when sort of a span of like 10 years is just zoomed by when you have young children you know it's like what what year is it now it's like and it's it's tricky because you lose yourself in that sometimes you know so I remember I had older friends that I remember them saying well I'm 40 now so I don't really I don't give a shit what anybody else says or uh, yeah. I'm 50 now but you know what? I went past 40, I went past 50, and I kept thinking, when, when am I going to feel that way? When am I going to feel like that I don't care what other people think about me? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think after you, this is the only thing I can, not that I feel like I'm actually wise or anything, but I think if you live 60 years not trusting your own gut for all this time and you and you kind of go with what other people expect of you and then it comes back to bite you in the ass anyway that I was right after all I was actually right yes um and so if you live that for 60 years you finally say you know what I'm sticking with this because I really was right all those other times and now I live to regret so many times when I thought that I wasn't right. And so I don't care. It's yeah. kind of like I don't care anymore. And so I think 60, when I hit 60, I'll be 61 in October. I think that's when I just, and it's, it, I'm not just talking about my hair now, but it is kind of like a popular thing to do now, even with young people. I know. I know. It's funny. It's so funny. I saw that such a trend, but it's funny because that actually, that snap happened in me this year. And I think it, I think it helped lucky you, lucky you that you have 20 I know. years. Like, oh my God, it finally happened because I, like I said, I'm an Aquarius and I'm a people pleaser and my family's, my mom's a people pleaser. And I grew up in this culture of like, please everybody, like be this for everybody. But it just happened this year and it was the best fucking feeling ever. And I lost some family over it and I lost some friends over it. And I'm like, fine. Like, and I think, um, having, people to look up to like yourself and people in my life. I think in a way, social media or the internet has helped like speed up this process because you can surround yourself with people that are good for you and good influence and good um, models of like self-love and, and empowerment. And, and I think it really helps speed up that process for me, but also Hunter, like I said, um, he's been really supportive of, you know, he's like, he does his thing and he doesn't apologize usually unless I force him to. <laughs> like, <laughs> For being himself and I think just knowing him and and like being 
being just around him, I, I absorbed that so much. And I never had that person in my life that was that, like, doing their own thing, but not in a hateful or hurtful way, like, just being that, like, lust for life. I don't know how else to explain it, but I really appreciate that because it's so true. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear that that you've gotten there and that's it's so exciting, but I feel really excited that I'm like, I felt the snap and I was like, this is it. I'm like ready to live my life now, like enough with this. So, and I, I think what the old Pennsylvania Dutch term is for that. What's good no. for the goose is good for the gander. Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought you were gonna sprechen sie Deutsch. No, no. Glay Bissell, a little bit. I took a class and I was awful at it and I would make fun of myself because I would say I'm the Oli Valley valley girl because <laughs> you know it's like you could learn all the Deitch in in the world right but if you don't have the accent like what's just for nice you know just for nice but yeah. i would say it with this valley girl accent because i grew up in the 90s <laughs> it was ridiculous but i had um i don't know if you knew keith rinsenhoff he was my teacher and he yeah. was such, such a fun guy to learn from i mean what a nut he's so funny but yeah i love it that's incredible i love i love looking at your posts and it's just, you just get a good feeling, you know, when you see um, your face and also the things that you share, there's a really great energy there. And I wish we were closer because I would come over and absorb all of it in person. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll have to get out there once all this craziness is settled down a bit. But um, a couple more things I wanted to touch on. What do you want people to know that is often misunderstood? And you could take that any way you want, Pennsylvania Dutch or herbalism, however you'd like to go with that. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I, I guess I'll go the herbalism route on this one. Um, I think that in, in, um, in, in the olden days and past times, I feel like, um, the difference between learning herbalism long ago and herbalism, learning herbalism now is that you learned that thing, you learned those things at the knee of your grandmother or your mom or your great grandmother or your auntie or whoever it was that you were in the garden with and spending time with mm -hmm. over the course of your life. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. um, now it's like, a weekend class and suddenly you're you're posting pictures on social media about how you're making medicines and if anybody wants anything I'll sell it to you for $20 or you know that kind of thing yeah really, um, is is a little bit concerning to me yes that, um, that you can't be that you can't learn herbalism in a weekend class. Right, right. That really, I, even though I learned herbalism, I started learning herbalism in the 90s, the early 90s, I still feel like I'm learning about plants. I still feel like I don't know enough. Um, even though I have a, a long relationship with some of these plants that goes back 20 years or 30 years, mm -hmm. I still learn something new about them every single year. Um, it's just, it's, it's everything that I love is slow learning. 
Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think people know how to slow learn anymore. I saw a decline in the attention span of my students once everybody got an iPhone. That's really true. Yeah. It's so true because the brain. Um, yeah, there's like, um, and I have to say, please don't pick up your phone during class because people will Google something or the attention span is just so short. Yes. When I first started teaching, my first classes will remember this, that I used to talk all day and people would just write. I never gave them handouts. They just wrote. Wow. I thought, oh, that's awful. Like, I want to give them something. I feel like my handouts are my art. And yeah. so that's, that's what I do for art is to make these handouts. And, um, but that's, that is kind of the discouraging thing for me is that people's attention span um, they don't want to do slow learning anymore. That's really that's, true. Yeah. That's a really good point. And that's a great, I've never heard it called something, but felt it so incredibly like palpably this, this phenomenon of like, not even my children, you know, five minutes of, of nothing is like, I'm bored. I'm bored. Entertain me. Like, no, we can go out and get lost in our elderberry jungle. Like, go do yeah. something. I mean, we have a tree house. It's really cool. Like, we have this really cool old um, arborvita. It's gigantic. It's like a Van Gogh tree. And, you know, no, you can't say that. <laughs> like, I'm not accepting that. Go find, go rush, get out of here. I mean, it's really sad to see. But <sighs> the idea of writing notes, though, is really beautiful to me because I actually see that. I miss note-taking a lot. And I see it as a form of art because like calligraphy, fractor, um, anything like that, it's, there's, and, and even just learning cursive, there's such a beauty in that. And, and, and then what they've learned about people that doodle, which was a doodler, I was a doodler, is that you actually, the impression that the information leaves in your brain because yeah. of that doodle. And I see that with cursive, I feel that. Like the impression that those students must have had versus students later that were like Googling there's not that actual, um, like they can't see your words verbatim, but this feeling that they had when they you were speaking to them, just like how you described when you first heard Jesse speak. And when you said the tears started rolling, it reminded me so much of myself. I mean, Susan, I feel like we're so similar. Um, I had this aha moment recently in, in a practice with someone, vocal coaching, it's, or I don't know what it's called. It's um, vocal exploration, I apologize. Um, <clears throat> and I just flooding because a connection in my head came together and the vision that she was describing, I saw it in my head, you know? And what I really loved about your conversations with Hunter in this book is you kept talking about dreams and dreams are something that I follow very carefully and I see a lot in my dreams. And I think what I'm taking away from our conversation, which reminds me so much of my own practice is there, there's something so sacred and something that's just for you. And then there's something that's for your very small audience that you know you can trust. And that's really good and okay. And, and really being careful. I've tried to be very ethical about not exploiting things. Like you said, you take this weekend class and then suddenly you're selling goods. You know, I try really hard to um, put in the time to learn about the craft and the practices in order to pass it on ethically and and responsibly and slowly. I love that. So thank you so much, Susan. It's been like mind blowing and I'm so glad we had the chance to do this. I almost feel like if it weren't for quarantine, we'd be really too busy or something. I know, right?
I really appreciate your time. This has been beautiful. And I really look forward to collaborating with you definitely on this, in this book. That would be super fun. I feel like sure. you could really encompass the things that I need to the, the fill in the holes that I need to fill in for her, but I'm so glad and come back to Oli and come visit us sometime. I know you experienced the Kime house. I get the same vibe there. I want to go there again. Oh my gosh. Hunter and I were just talking about this and how you said you told us the story and I definitely felt that there, a very interesting spirit, but not the rest of Oli is good. <laughs> is anybody living there? Is anyone living? No, in no, and I, no, I did a lot of work. Um, while I was doing my thesis, I worked with the Berks, Berks County Trust, Historical Trust or whatever. And there was a man that was very, very trying so hard to like revive the facility. And then they had this wonderful festival trying to revive it. Um, and it just kind of like is being left behind. I don't know. He felt like it was being left behind. It's really quite a shame because it's an incredible building. But yeah, they have to go and things have kind of hauled. But that is, that place is really, really something else. And so really spooky. Oh my goodness me. I can't. And you know where else too? Um, at the Heritage Center, their house, the stone house. Um, I, did a, I did an exhibition there and I was there alone. <laughs> yes. And I said to Patrick, um, Patrick, what are all these noises? And he's like, oh, those are just, they're like mice running around the like heating system. I was like, you're so full of sharing. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I appreciate your time so much, Susan. And I, and I wish you the best. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful um, next couple months. And, and I hope we open up and we can all get together again. And I would oh, love to be fun. I would love to take your class. That would be so much fun. Get myself back to Jersey. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Susan. And have a wonderful night. Max good. Thank you. Max good. Bye. Bye.